Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, do you trade options like I do? Then you don't want to skip this. You want to pay attention. I just found the very best options trading platform out there, and I want to tell you all about them. I bet you feel like you're never satisfied with your current options broker, right? Anytime you want to get help, anytime you call them, anytime you email them, you never actually get to talk to a human. And you need to talk to somebody because their platform is so difficult to use. I mean, you've got to go through all these different screens just to place a single trade. And then on top of that, their commissions are eating you alive. You can't even make money because the commissions cost more than your profits. My name is Christopher Yule, and I was awarded one of the top 100 people in finance, and I'm also the host of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. And Tastyworks is the platform that I use and I recommend. Yeah, I know they got a funny name, but you're going to want to learn more about this platform. It was built by options traders for options traders. So if you're an options trader, you definitely want to check out Tastyworks. It was built on the back of high frequency trading technology. So you're going to be getting close to the best fills possible. And on top of that, their commission structure, it's almost unbeatable. It's only $1 per leg to open a trade and $0 per leg to close a trade. So click the link to check out Tastyworks today and use the code 10MINUTE, that's one zero M-I-N-U-T-E, to get over $150 in free 10-minute trader exclusive bonuses just for signing up for a Tastyworks account. It really doesn't get easier than that. You're going to get the best platform that I've ever used, and you're going to get free bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com. So make sure you check out Tastyworks and use the code 10MINUTE, and you'll be just as blown away as I was by Tastyworks and their options trading platform built by traders for traders. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about quantitative trading and a new way to take your trading to a new level. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group, founder and head trader of 10MinuteStockTrader.com, Christopher Yu. Hey there, 10-Minute Traders, and welcome back to the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and enable notifications so you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And today, we have a special guest on the line, Troy Bombardia, all the way from Australia, which blows my mind that he and I can connect like this. And uh, he's from Bull Market or bullsmarket.co. Did I say that correct? Bullsmarket.co? Bullmarkets.co. Bullmarkets.co. <laughs> Jeez. Right. I got it backwards. Okay. Bullmarkets.co. Hey, Troy, seriously, thank you for coming on all the way from Australia. He just got done finishing breakfast and he's coming on to, to talk to us about quant trading. So, okay. Troy, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah. So, basically, uh, 10 years ago, around 2007, 2008, 
uh, started working with my parents in their hedge fund. And that was oh, right around okay. the time. Yeah. And that was right around the time, like a family fund kind of thing. Not really open to a lot of outside investors, just to hold our money and a bit of like other people's money. Um, and that's right around the time of the 2008 crash. So that first year was extremely good, especially because we were basically just shorting the finance stocks and doing so with the uh, 3x leverage ETFs. And the funny oh thing goodness. is, actually, <laughs> and the funny thing is, most of our money actually wasn't on the short side; it was on the long side, even in a bear market. Because I re- I was listening to your um, uh, podcast with Steve Burns, and basically what he was saying, which you agreed, was that it's actually quite hard to make money from shorting because the volatility in a bear market mm-hmm. so right and that's exactly what it is like with those ETFs what happens is like you're up like 50% in two days and then then you're down by 30% over the next two days and it's just crazy amounts of volatility yeah. with that chop and especially with leverage ETFs which actually work better when you have a slowly trending market than a um, fast moving market and that's been our, the- uh, been our theme the whole time which is basically doing uh, leverage ETFs and then so 2008 was a great year I think we doubled our money a bit more than doubled and the problem after 2008 is that we caught the first uh 2009 rally and then we went short because pretty much the mm. whole theme is that you know the economy is still terrible everyone's saying a silver a bear market and we bought into that uh, mentality and basically got killed in the second half we didn't give oh, up all our, all our gains but gave up a lot of our you gains. know what those i call those expensive lessons that's okay it and it's it's it difficult when when you're successful early on to just be prepared for, in fact, Steve talked about that exactly because he made a lot of money in the mm-hmm. 2000s up to the tech bubble and then he lost a right. lot of money because he had never gone through the, yeah. the losing part, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And then, so basically, uh, first, those first two years, if we were doing stocks, and then like, you know, screw this, this is too hard, we have no idea what's going on, right? <laughs> I, I was, it's, it's the mentality that a lot of people had at the time, which is why is the stock market still going up, the economy is still so bad, you know, all these uh, unemployment still going up and all that. So like, you know, this doesn't make any sense, it's crazy. So then we switched to silver, um, trading gold and silver. So we did that for the next, I want to say five years-ish, yeah, approximately five years, and it did really well. Um, so basically, trading silver is mostly through reading the price action of gold and silver, right? Mm-hmm. When you were, you, were you trading silver futures or what were you trading? Yes, ETS. So at first, okay. doing AJQ, which is the 2X ETF, and then doing USLV, which is the uh, 3X uh-huh. ETF. And sometimes putting in a bit of like NUGT, uh, which is GDX's 3X ETF. So doing a bit of that. Um, and that really worked out pretty well. Um, except the thing was, while we were trading gold and silver, like when you trade any market, you have to understand the S&P. You have to understand the U.S. stock market because that one market will impact everything else, but not everything else impacts that one market. Like mm-hmm. let's say in 2008, right? A lot of these guys hedged their um, hedged their uh, long U.S. position with other markets, like foreign markets, because it's supposed to be diversified, right? But it's not because when the U.S. goes down like that degree, everything else goes down. It becomes completely correlated. It's all just one move going down, right? So you have to know what the U.S. is doing. Because the U.S., I think, accounts for like 43% of the world's stock market. So if you don't know what that one market's doing, you're pretty much missing out on half the picture. Mm-hmm. And then the way we do, the way we trade gold and silver is mostly through like price action trading. So using a lot of, um, using a lot of like moving averages, using the gold-silver ratio a lot, that worked out really well. Um, understanding the price, and it's kind of like reading the tape. But, and then the thing is as a trader, you tend to use one strategy and use that one strategy for everything, right? Because it's very, like, you only have one mind. It's very hard to think about something 
and uh, sorry to think about two different markets in two different ways right because you're just one person you're not two people so we would use that same price action strategy which is something that a lot of people, traders use in the stock market and then the thing is i find that a lot of traders they don't quite reflect they don't quite take a look at their market predictions over the past say five years ten years and then say what has gone wrong what has gone right right and then what we found is that it was just horrible like it's <laughs> it was just pretty much <laughs> random right for example i'll give an example a lot of people say if you read the price action right back then what was really important was the uh, labor market report like the market move a lot on that day simply because people would say labor market impacts the fed and the fed impacts the stock market right whether or not we're going to raise rates or mqe or whatever and then so what happens let's say today uh, the labor market report came out it did whatever and the stock market went down right well we would say hey the stock market's price action its reaction to this uh, economic indicator was bearish, hence it's going to keep going down. And that strategy worked in gold and silver, worked really well, but it just completely flopped in the stock market. Like what happens today, the stock, might, the stock market might go down on a really good labor market support, and you think, oh, that must mean the price action is so bearish because it can't even go up on a good news, and then tomorrow, you, and then you turn bearish, and then tomorrow it goes right back up. Like, mm-hmm. so basically, uh, so like we, what we found is that price action doesn't work that well in the stock market. And I'm just talking about the S&P. I'm not talking so much about individual stocks because we've never really traded individual stocks. Individual stocks is actually quite hard because you have to predict the overall market and then you have to predict the own markets, technicals and fundamentals. Sorry, the own mm. stocks, technicals and fundamentals. It's just two layers of things to predict, right? So going back to the S&P, what we found is that price action doesn't work that well. And then... We looked at like all these uh, fundamental and economic forecasts from all these people, right? And what we figured out is that it's actually no better than the 50-50 bet. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> now that we've actually collected more data on it, it's actually much more clear. For example, um, we started doing this thing called like a guru tracker. And it's basically showing you like a list of, we, we don't release it because this is not the kind of thing that makes you popular. <laughs> you yeah. <know>? <laughs> but it's, it's for our own internal use, just to remind us keep us saying don't buy into the hype what it basically does is it's keeping track of like various market calls from all these big names or whatever that appear on cnbc uh financial media bloomberg and the such right and what you realize is that a lot of these calls honestly i want to say it's not it's not much better than a 50 50 bet you get it wrong sometimes and you get it right sometimes i think it was howard marks that was saying it's like the finance industry is full of people who have been right once in a row and it's actually quite true. It's like these guys who they say, oh, I predicted the 2008 crash or whatever, right? And yeah, they predicted that. But they predicted every single crash since then. And clearly, right. it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Because if you thing is, they can say, oh, I'm so smart or whatever. But if you actually follow that advice, you end up much worse off than buy and hold. And honestly, in trading, I think, if you can't be buy and hold, there's not much of a point to what you're doing. Because you have higher taxes, right? Short-term mm-hmm. capital, at least in the U.S., and it's just, you're spending a lot of extra time, you're paying more taxes, you're paying more commissions, and you're getting less results. Why would you do more to get less, mm-hmm. right? So basically what we found out is that discretionary trading is really, really hard because imagine yourself as a business, as a machine, right? What a good business does is it's constantly trying to make the boat go faster. It's trying, constantly trying to make the machine go faster, right? But if what you're doing is discretionary trading, 90% of your time is spent on predicting where the market's going to go next. It's, or it, even if you do trend following, it's coming up with trade setups, right? But what we do nowadays is that we do quantitative trading. Actually, I don't work with my parents anymore. I just work, my, work with myself. Um, and what we do is quantitative trading. So basically, we don't spend our time trying to really 
predict where the market's going to go next, create the next trade setup, create the next trade analysis. We more so spend it on building training models. So that training model runs our training. And all we do is make that model go faster. We make the boat go faster instead of trying to row the boat. So do you know what I'm saying? We're not working yeah. so much on the first derivative as we are working on the second derivative, trying to improve our returns. And the thing with training models is that when you look at discretionary training, right, a lot of stuff just doesn't make sense. Like a lot of people have these ideas. Let's say, um, let's say you have this idea, like emerging markets right now are going down, right? And the U.S. stock market's going up, right? And then people will say, oh, I think this is, I don't know, bearish for the U.S. stock market because there's a divergence between the two, right? And the thing is, a lot of people um, have these beliefs, and when you test it with the numbers, when you actually look at the back tests, it's completely false. Like there is no such thing as emerging markets go down, U.S. is going up, or U.S. has to go down along with emerging markets, right? And a lot of times when people say, this is the problem with a lot of chart watching, is that the charts will only show you a limited amount of history, and that induces uh, recency bias. For example, they'll say, oh, the last time emerging markets fell and the U.S. stock market went up was September 2018, and after that, the stock market fell, right? So, and then, uh, so then saying, oh, so this time, over the past two years, this only happened one other time, hence today is just like that one other time, hence today is just going to be like that other time. It doesn't make any sense. Because in statistics, that's basically using a sample size of n equals 1. Mm-hmm. You cannot make predictions based on saying, oh, this happened one other time, hence it's going to be exactly like the other time. Yes, right? of course, it must be. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say, oh, the last time this happened was 2008, hence today's 2008, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, what you realize about discretionary trading is that there are a million factors to consider, right? There are a million fundamental indicators, a million technical indicators. Oh, and the other thing is, a lot of people like technical analysis, but we what we found with our models when it comes to trading the U.S. stock market is that when you add fundamentals, it always makes it better. But you have to know the right kind of fundamentals to add, right? Mm-hmm. But sorry, just going back to that. So, um, so the problem with a lot of discussion trading is that you end up relying a lot on recency bias because your chart only shows you so much. And because there are so many indicators to consider, thousands of technical indicators, thousands of fundamental indicators, how do you reconcile all these, right? Because there's never going to be a point in time in which you are 100% bullish or 100% bearish. Right? You're not going to have all indicators are bullish or all indicators are bearish. There's always going to be some bullish and some bearish, right? So how do you reconcile this, right? And that's the problem because you don't know what indicators are more important and what indicators are less important, right? So the only ways you know that is if you were to put it into a model and you kind of see, okay, so if I use, you gotta create like an end-to-end system, right? Something that tells you what to do all the time instead of something that gives you individual trade setups. Because what a lot of people do is they create individual trade setups and they try to string these setups together, right? So like I remember in the um, Steve Burns podcast, you were talking about being long bull. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, so let's say you heard this uh, great analysis from Real Vision or whatever, and then they said gold's great, uh, great buy for X, Y, Z reason, right? So let's say, let's imagine that gold trade worked out, right? So that trade works out. Then what do you do? You hop onto the next trade setup, right? And you hop onto the next trade up. It's just you're stringing together a bunch of trade setups, and it's not an end-to-end complete system, right? Because the thing is, there's not going to be at any given point in time, there's not always going to be an optimal trade setup. Right. So what do you do then? What if you don't have an optimal trade setup? That's why with like a model, you can know exactly what to do all the time, even without an optimal trade setup. Right. Mm-hmm. So just going back to that, the discretionary trading, the problem is it's just you have so many factors and you don't know which one overrides the other. You don't know which one's more important and you don't know. Like you pretty much don't know which indicator generates the alpha. Right. Mm-hmm. So for example, 
Um, I was looking at the uh, Tom DeMarc um, indicators, and I was talking to this guy. I was like, "Does Tom? Do those indicators actually work? Cause it sounds a bit like it. Look, it sounds a bit like voodoo, honestly, right? And <laughs> <laughs> going like the step one, two, three, four, five. And whenever I hear something like this, especially for someone of that age to have done it for like 50 years, I always think if that stuff worked out so well, why did you not create a hedge fund and why are you not a billionaire, right? Because mm-hmm. if it works mm-hmm. well. And, but I'm, but I mean, like, this must work to some degree because Steve Cohen paying for it. He's paying, like, $5 million bucks a year for these indicators. Uh, George Soros at one point used it, right? And I was telling this one of the quant, and when he was saying it made a lot of sense. He was like, you don't know if, they're, if they watch this stuff just for pretty much entertainment or if their alpha actually comes from these indicators. And, of course, they're not going to tell you, hey, X percent of our alpha comes from this indicator, X percent of our alpha comes from that indicator, right? For all you know, they might just be looking at it because it's an interesting thing to look at and not because it has actually helped their trading, right? And what you see a lot of times in trading is that because, imagine this way, right? If I teach a strategy that is not much better than a coin toss, it'll actually work. The stock market goes up in the long term, right? But that's not because yeah. the strategy actually works because it's better than a coin toss. It's just because the overall market's going up, right? Like I remember in 2017, a lot of these guys were using technical analysis for cryptocurrencies, right? And they were making a lot of money from it. And I was just saying, the reason why you're making money isn't because technical analysis, your technical analysis is working in crypto. It's because it's a bull market. Anything will work in a bull market, right? Like I can find right. a coin and it'll still work terrifically, especially yeah. in that kind of the bull market and that's why after the 2017 massive run up in crypto in 2018 you don't hear any of these guys talking about technical analysis in bitcoin anymore because mm-hmm. it's just the market environment matters a lot for the strategy you're using and it's like warren buff said only when the tide goes out do you see who's swimming naked you don't quite in a bull market it's hard to know if you, what you're doing is working because it actually works or if it's just because the whole tide is going up and it lifts all the boats right mm-hmm. and that's the thing about quantitative trading is that you can back test your strategy through all different types of environments to see how well it actually works or it doesn't work under different scenarios. So yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at now. Um, stopped working with my parents a few years ago, just running my own thing, and I'm probably going to get back into the uh, hedge fund world in two years. Okay, Troy. So uh, you know, tell us uh, what's on your mind. What uh, what do you what do you do with quant trading? Okay, so I just want to give you guys a bit of a background into quantitative trading. And when a lot of people think about quantitative trading, they think about it as something crazy complicated. Like you got to have a PhD and you have to have 10 different computers on your desk. And that's not true. Quantitative trading can actually be quite easy, something that you can just run very simply through Excel. You don't have to know coding or you don't have to know anything. So basically, it's just, let's say you have a trading strategy right now. It's discretionary. Let's say it's a trend following strategy or a contrarian strategy, right? What quantitative trading does is all you're doing is you're taking your existing strategy and you're systematizing it into a set of rules that you repeatedly follow over and over and over. And the reason why this works is because when you're doing discretionary trading, every single time you're spending 99% of your time coming up with your next trade idea, coming up with your next market analysis. So in rowing terms or in terms of business, what it means is that you're not making the boat go faster because you're just spending your time doing maintenance work. You're just spending your time doing the exact same thing that you did yesterday before today. The good thing about quantitative trading is that you're spending your time making the boat go faster. You're not spending the time creating the next trade setup, the next market analysis. 
you already know what your strategy is. You just plug in the number. Let's say you're trading the S&P 500. You just plug in the number and based on your model, you know exactly what you're going to buy and sell today. There's no confusion. So the thing is, I used to do discretionary trading and discretionary trading, the biggest problem is that at any given point in time, there are always bullish and bearish factors. You're never going to have a case in time when everything's bullish or everything's bearish because the world's never 100% perfect or 100% bad. So the thing about discretionary trading is how do you reconcile these uh, bullish and bearish points, right? How do you know which bullish points and which bearish points override the other? The thing is you don't really know. So that's where there's a lot of guessing involved in discretionary trading. Let's say right now you're uh, bullish on cryptocurrency or something, right? Well, there are reasons to be bullish and there are reasons to be bearish. You can't just say, oh, it's 100% bullish, it's gonna go up for sure. You're never gonna have a trade where it's 100% guaranteed, right? So how do you know which of these bullish points are gonna override the bearish points, right? And that's where there's a lot of guessing because you don't really know. So what quantitative trading does is that you're essentially taking all these points and you're synthesizing it down to one very simple end-to-end -end solution, one simple end-to-end -end trading model. That way there's no guessing. You don't have to think, oh, but this factor is bullish, oh, but that factor is bearish, right? You just say you plug in the number and the model just spits out one simple buy or sell signal. For example, hmm. let's say you're trading the S&P right now, right? You could say, oh yeah, the bearish reason is uh, Trump's trade war or you know, trade, the trade war is going to be bad for U.S. stocks or whatever, right? That in and of itself is a bit of guessing. Because do you really know how bad it's going to be for the U.S. stock market? Even Trump himself doesn't know, right? Mm -hmm. And also when they say, oh, I think the trade war is going to be bad for the U.S. stocks, do you know how the trade war is going to play along? You don't. Even Trump himself doesn't know how the trade war is going to play along, right? And he's writing the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. So, And at the same time, you can also give bullish points saying, oh, right now, uh, earning, earnings growth is low, but by the second half of uh, 2019, earnings growth is going to pick up, right? So that's a bullish point right now, right there. Earnings growth is going to pick up. So between these two points, how do you reconcile which point is more important than the other, right? And this is where everyone's going to have a different opinion. Some people are going to think the trade war is more important, hence it's more bearish. Other people are going to think the earnings growth is more important, hence it's more bullish, right? But with the trading model, all it does is it synthesizes down different points of view and creates one simple buy and sell signal that's unbiased. There's no personal bias, there's no political bias, there's no recency bias or any of these biases into your training models. Ah, okay, that sounds really good. Now, when I hear that, it reminds me of um, of Steve Burns and and you were talking about how uh, you know you write articles for Steve as well on his website, NewTraderU.com. Mm -hmm. He is a very big signals guy. In fact, there was one day, uh, I was really proud of myself. I made this huge, well, not huge, but decently long video about how, you know, this and this and this and this. And I sent it to Steve and um, he, 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 he wrote back and he said, so what was your signal? And I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? You know what, Steve, that's all I needed to hear. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I went through so many different analyses of it. Yet at mm -hmm. no point in time did I have like a signal. Right. I didn't mm -hmm. have a I didn't have a reason. I just picked a stock and I'm like, okay, this, 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 and this says, you know, mm. be bearish. And then mm -hmm. just the simple question of what was your signal? Just the mm -hmm. light bulb moment. Like, oh, geez, mm. what? Of course, I needed a signal in order to look at the trade for, for any reason whatsoever. Uh, mm. And that sounds like uh, your quant-based system is, mm. uh, is, I guess you could say, a signal or series of signals that lead to an, an output. Would you mm -hmm. uh, boil it down to that? Right, exactly. Okay. So pretty much what you just mentioned is that market analysis is not the same thing as trading. You're trading the price. You're not trading your market analysis, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, for example, let's say this is where you got to be careful because when you read the news and all that, right, you hear this guy saying, oh, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good, right? That's not trading in and of itself because when somebody tells you, I predicted the 2008 housing crash, the 2008 stock market crash, right? That guy could have predicted that, had that prediction from 2005 all the way to 2008. And that of itself is not a good trading signal. Because what happens mm -hmm. is, you just imagine this, if you're bearish, be short. If you're bullish, be long, right? So let's say you short in 2005, well, you lost money in 2005 because the market went up, right? And you're still bearish in 2006. You lost money in 2006 again because the market went up, right? You're still bearish in 2007. And of course, that's wrong. And you're right in 2008, yes, but your timing was not that good, right? There are many ways to improve that timing. So that's the thing. Market outlook and trading signals are not the same thing. And generally, you want your market analysis to align with your trading signals. So basically, if you're bearish right now, are you willing to short? If you're bullish right now, are you willing to long at this price, right? Leave it for the gurus to tell you they saw it coming because, of course, <laughs> they saw it three years in advance. But timing is all that matters because at the end of the day, all you're doing is trading price, right? So going back to Steve Burns' uh, video that you were talking about, um, listen to your podcast between you and Steve. I think he was talking about the 200-day moving average and the 250-day moving average, how that's very important. So I'll give you a very simple example of you backtesting, right? A lot of people will automatically assume, yes, stocks above the 200-day moving average, it's bullish. Stocks below the 200-day moving average, it's bearish, right? That's pretty much the standard, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you just you copy and paste your S&P data from, say, Yahoo Finance or whatever, right? You don't have to buy data for any of this stuff. It's all free. Um, just copy and paste it into Excel, and then you just create the very simple function. If today's price, the S&P's price today, is bigger than the average over the past 200 days, then you go along. Otherwise, you stay in cash, right? Mm -hmm. and, then you just, and then you just drag those numbers down, and then you plot it out on a, on a chart. And you can very quickly see what your equity curve looks like if you were to use that strategy, which is essentially a model, right? So basically long above the 200-day moving average and cash or short, uh, depending on what equation you want to use, below the 200-day moving average, right? And what you realize with the 200-day moving average, at least, is that over a very long period of time, it's exactly the same as the S&P. It's mm -hmm. from, from 1950 to present, right? The past 70 years, almost 69 years. It's exact, it gives you the exact same return, a little bit less actually than the S&P. But what it does is it cuts down on your drawdowns. You can imagine that, right? Because what the 200-day moving average does, it just tells you this is a downtrend, hence you got to avoid it, right? right? It doesn't give you false breakdowns. It just tells you this is a downtrend. It's been going down right now, so you got to avoid it, right? Um, so basically, yes, as we can see, Burns, that's a strategy, 200-day moving average, and it's quite good. But the other thing is you got to be careful with technical analysis is that it's not voodoo. What I find is that a lot of people, they treat technical analysis as this kind of like mythical thing, and they create all these reasons for why it works, right? Let's, for example, they say the market is bouncing on its 200-day moving average right now, right? It's actually not bouncing on the 200-day moving average, and there's a very easy way to prove that. Or they'll say, oh, the market is drawn to its 50-day moving average like a magnet, right? So the way you prove that these things don't exist is very simple. If you use different moving averages, what's so special about the 200-day moving average? There's nothing special about it. How is it any different from the 201-day, the 202-day, the 203-day, right? Right. So if you were to plot out all these different models saying, what happens if you buy above the 200-day moving average and you sell below the 200-day moving average, right? You plot that model out against what happens when you buy above the 201-day moving average and you sell below the 201-day moving average. And then you try the 202, the 203, 204, 205, 199, 198, right? And we actually tried every single moving average from the two-day moving average all the oh, way up wow. to the 200-day moving average. And what you realize is that within a range, like let's say the 195 to 205 or the 190 to 210 day moving average, there's no different 
There is no difference at all. If there was any difference, it's very, very minimal to the point where it's just a, a statistical fluke, really. And mm -hmm. what that's saying is that, see, this is the good part about quantitative training is that you don't have to guess how well a, something works. You don't say, oh, I think this works, hence I'm going to use it. Or the, you don't say, oh, this big, this guy with a big name with billions of dollars says it works, hence I'm going to use it. You just look at the data, you look at the facts for yourself, right? And at least in terms of that 200-day moving average, you realize is that none of these things are that much different. Yes, on every given, in any given point in time, it might give you a different trading signal. For example, if you use the 200-day moving average, today might be a sell signal, versus whereas if you use the 205-day moving average, today's still a buy, but almost a sell signal, right? So you might get different trades over time, but your equity curve over the long term, which is what you're doing as a trader, you're focusing on long-term profits, right? This isn't a fly-by-night thing. Then your equity curve over the long term is very, very similar. So that, like I said, these things are voodoo. You can actually backtest it. And it's very easy to backtest on your own, mm. right? Um, so, in but in terms of backtesting, the one thing I want to share with your listeners, it's actually very interesting, is that what you find in the stock market, at least, I can't speak for other markets, can't talk about cryptocurrencies, commodities, uh, Forex or any of that, but at least in the stock market, when it comes to the U.S. stock market, short-term trading tends to underperform long-term trading. And I'll give you a very simple example. Back in the day, when I did discretion trading myself, just like many traders do nowadays, what we would say is we'd predict, okay, the stock market's gone up too much right, because it's very over, overbought or whatever. It's outside of its longer bands. Momentum's very high. Sentiment's very high. Uh, I think the market's overbought. It's going to make a pullback, right? So you sell. And then you predict a 5% pullback, and you sell, and the stock market goes up 10%. And then it falls 5%, right? So what happens is essentially you're underperforming buy and hold because you just sold in anticipation of a pullback mm -hmm. and it did pull back eventually, but that pullback happened at a much higher price and you're going to buy, end up buying back at a much higher price, right? Yeah. So like I said, when it comes to trading, if you can't outperform buy and hold in the long term, there's really no point in doing that because what's the point of spending more effort, paying more taxes, paying more commissions to get less results, right? That doesn't quite make a lot of sense. So what we realize is that these small pullbacks are very, very hard to predict. And it's it's hard to predict in the quantitative sense in that if you want to outperform buy and hold, what you have to do is you have to sell at a higher price and buy back at a lower price, right? But right. more often than not, more than 50% of the time, what happens is the scenario I mentioned. You sell in anticipation of, let's say, a 5% pullback, the market goes up 10% instead, and then it falls 5% and you buy back at a higher price, right? So things what I've seen is what I've seen a lot of people say is, and they convince themselves of this too, is that I was right, I saw it coming, right? But it doesn't make any sense because you you saw it coming way too early. And that's the thing about quantitative training is that there's nothing more honest than quantitative training. You can't convince yourself, yes, I saw the five percent pullback coming when it went up ten percent first and then it went down five percent, right? Right. You just like buy and hold in that part of your equity curve. Right. So short term training is very hard. And the other reason why short term training is very hard is I think the algos have screwed it up a bit. For example, you wouldn't believe this. Right. But in that very simple back test where we just ran every single uh, training model based on the two day moving average all the way to 300 day moving average. And by the way, training models can be much better than that. But this is just a very simple example. Mm -hmm. uh, for your the best return is actually on the two day moving average. Can you believe that? Wow. So really? Uh, if you buy above the two-day moving average and you sell below the two-day moving average, that gives you around, I want to say, 11-12% a year. Uh, using the S&P, if you don't include the dividends, it's around 7% a year, right? So what you'll see is when you plot out all the moving averages, the best moving averages are the most short-term ones. The two-day moving average, the three-day moving average, the four-day, and the five-day moving average. Wow. Right? But here's the catch. 
when you actually look at the returns on the two-day moving average, it has completely flopped since 2000 and present. It was absolutely spectacular from, say, 1950 all the, way to, all the way to the year 2000. Pretty much no losses, just one line going straight up, right, the equity curve. And then since then, it has gone nowhere. It's fallen by like half, hmm. right? And what I think is the reason for that is the mar- it's harder and harder to beat the markets in terms of trading. Um, have you read the book, uh, The Incredible Shrinking Alpha by Larry Swedro? No, I haven't. No, it's definitely a great book to uh, read. And I saw your Instagram with all the books falling off the shelves. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's funny. Yeah, you've been following me for a while then. What a day. I'll tell you what, I was was sitting at my desk and I I had grabbed one of the uh, bookshelves behind me to scoot my chair over and Mm. like everything collapsed. It was, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. But yeah, (laughs) it turned out okay. That's that's funny you bring that up. Yeah, Yeah, so uh, they are mounted to the walls now. It's not going to happen again. Okay, well, well, you can pass it with this new book anyways. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, bring down the house again with that new book. But yeah, that's funny you saw that. No, it's a good idea. Um, so basically what the incredible shrinking alpha is, what you realize is that it's harder and harder to beat the markets in the financial markets, right? And I think in many ways this, this has to do with the internet. Because when you think about it, what finance relies on, it, finance versus the tech industry, it's very interesting. The tech industry relies on transparency to get better over time, right, collaboration, all that. But the finance industry relies on opacity. It's a very opposite set of values, right? So let's say I have a strategy, right? It'll work for me if I'm the only one who's using it, right? But if Mm -hmm. I give that same strategy to a billion other people and everyone uses it, they all arbitrage away the alpha. They arbitrage away its ability to outperform, right? That's what I mean by finance relies on opacity, is that since the internet, strategies and idea and information has flowed so much more freely, right? So that what worked in the past is now being copied by 2,000 other different people. And because they're all using that exact same strategy, that is, it no longer works, right? So what Larry Spadro did was he, he took this chart and he looked at like various mutual fund managers and hedge fund managers, right? And how many of them have outperformed the S&P over various years and various decades, right? And what you've seen is that over the past 10 years, even in the past 15 years, Fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer people are outperforming buy and hold. And it's not just on a one-year basis. It's on a multi-year basis. The longer term, let's say you have a one-year horizon, a five-year horizon, a 10-year horizon, the longer your horizon, the fewer and fewer people outperform buy and hold, right? And like I said, it, it goes back to that two-day moving average strategy. Something as simple as that, if you were the only one who knew it, because I guess Excel didn't exist in the 1970s or whatever, right? <laughs> No, used it and you would have made a lot of money. But all, of course, that doesn't account for commissions and bid-ass spreads and all that. But since then, it has absolutely flopped. Why? Because all these algos, they see all these different patterns and they're just triggering your patterns. So, for example, let's say they know that you're going to use the two-day moving average, right? They know that you can sell when the market falls below the two-day moving average, right? So they'll smack it down today, make you sell tomorrow, and then they'll buy it up from you tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. So they sell at a worse price and they get to buy it at a better price, right? Mm-hmm. They know all the strategies that you guys are using. And that's why short term, like I said, it doesn't work as well as long term. It's not as consistent long term, right? Because when it comes to short term training, what worked in these five years is going to be different from what worked in the next five years and what worked in the next five years, right? Right. If you use long term training, the results tend to stay rather constant over time because these algos, they have a big impact on the market's short term, but they don't have a big impact on the market's long term. Because you can just imagine it. To move the stock market today or tomorrow, it might cost you, let's say, a billion dollars, right? 
But if you want to move the market for a year, two years, five years, that's going to cost you a trillion dollars, two trillion dollars. No algo, no fund, no bank even has that kind of money to manipulate the market in that way. They can, I don't like to use the term manipulation because it sounds kind of like a conspiracy theory, but they do push <laughs> the market around on a short-term basis, right? Yeah. And they can use anyone with enough money. You can give it a little bit, you can give the market a little bit of gas to the upside. You can give it a little bit of gas to the downside. But you can't move the market forever. Nobody's big enough to wrestle the market forever in their own direction. Right. So yeah, basically what you find is that when you do content trading, long term actually tends to do better than short term. Wow, well that's really good, Troy. Um, I tell you what, man, we uh, we covered a lot really fast. <laughs> I would love to have you back on. Um, in fact, you know, anytime that you uh, publish a new article or anything like that, um, you know, please. Consider, uh, you know, sharing it with the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast as well, because I, sure. I've learned a lot. I, I think you have a lot to give as well, um, and mm-hmm. I think the audience would very quickly take to that. So, uh, Troy, where can people find you at if they'd like to learn more and and uh, you know learn learn a little bit about you and your your quant style of trading? Uh, so, if you want to learn a bit more, just go to bullmarkets.co. That's with an S at the end yes, of bullmarkets. Yes, bullmarkets.co, not bullsmarket.co. Yes, let's get it right. <laughs> Perfect. And do you have a, a social media handle people can reach you at? Uh, yeah. Um, if you just want to go to twitter.com slash bullmarketsco, that's where you can reach out to me on Twitter. Perfect. Troy, this has been very educational, uh, very fun, actually. I, I've really enjoyed uh know listening and and hearing your perspective and and learning a little bit about uh how you trade all the way from down under (laughs) right cool well hey seriously thank you so much for coming on the podcast oh no thanks for having me on absolutely absolutely and thank you guys for listening to today's how to trade stocks and options podcast hey do me a favor real quick make sure you like subscribe and enable notifications so you never miss any of the tools tips and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade faster and trade smarter and i'll see you on the next episode Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. I know you're a listener, but are you a watcher? Make sure you head on over to YouTube, type in 10 Minutes Stock Trader, and subscribe to the 10MinuteStockTrader.com YouTube channel. Every week, I upload all the podcasts as full videos, and that way you're getting the full 10-minute trading experience. That way you can have all the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. Make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast app you're listening to, and leave me a five-star review if you don't mind. That would be fantastic. And whenever you're done with that, head on over to 10MinuteStockTrader.com and download the one-minute options trading quick start guide. It'll give you all the tools, tips, and tricks that I use in my own portfolio, and it never gets outdated, and it will apply to every single options trade out there, so I think it'll be pretty useful for you. And while you're there, check out the free portfolio page. That'll show you everything that I've traded over the last year in full transparency. And since you're on the website already, check out the free trading course. In this free trading course, I give you every single thing that I know and use in my own portfolio, and I definitely think it'll help you out too. And then after you're done there, head on over to tastyworks.com and sign up using the code 10minute, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, and I'll send you over $150 in free 10-minute trader exclusive bonuses from 10minutestocktrader.com. And most of all, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day. I really appreciate the fact that you and I have connected today and that you've chosen to put me inside your earbuds. That means the absolute world to me. And thank you so much for stopping by. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. 
Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice, tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit 10 legal. And thanks for stopping by.